Again, I'm really excited this morning to be with you in the Beatitudes. Uh, we started this past summer uh, looking at the book Gentle and Lowly, looking at those verses where Jesus says, if you'll take my yoke, uh, it's a picture of his teaching, his instruction. If you'll work with him and walk with him, he'll show you how to have a real life, a life that really means everything that God intended for us to experience, to really plow with Jesus, is to learn how to take his truth deep into our story so that we share it with other people's stories and then just watch as things really start to flourish when God's word comes alive for us. Uh, when we think about the word peace, peacemaker, the shalom, just as a little bit of background, we're talking about flourishing. If you get an email from me, I'll say shalom, uh, Clyde. Uh, so the, the idea is I want to flourish with you, for you, for the glory of God. So shalom has that idea. So if we were in the Middle East, <clears throat> we would hear people saying all the time, salam alaikum, uh, peace to you. And the whole idea is wanting to flourish. So when we think about the idea of peacemaking this morning, uh, we're talking about this idea of wanting people to be whole. We're wanting people to flourish because of their relationship with God. Um, as we review the Beatitudes and get to the seventh one this morning, uh, we just want to remember the first four Beatitudes are about our need. Now, I get this from amazing commentator. Uh, his last name is Bruner on Matthew. He says the first four are our needs. When we think about the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the presence of Jesus, it's to remind us that we are poor in spirit, that we are poor in comfort, we're poor in joy for the brokenhearted, we're poor in understanding who we really are in light of our Creator, so poor in power for the little people, and then poor in righteousness, hungry and thirsting. And then it, it, these first four, Bruner says, are to take us to our knees. It's to take us to see our need. The next three that come are to cause us to stand up in love. So the inaugural help of the kingdom is to be full of mercy, to know the joy of having a clean heart so that we can see God uh, all around us and see God in people's stories and to be full of peace. So this morning we're talking about blessed are those who stand up in love because they want to be peacemakers. These are the daughters and sons of God. These are the children of God who learn how and want to um, uh, make peace. Now the problem is very few of us have been around people who model this well. And their parents and their family and their generations of families to really see what Jesus is talking about here is actually very rare, and it's very hard. And so I don't want to just initially stand up here and talk about it. We all say, oh, that sounds great, that sounds beautiful. But how many of us have ever been in what Jesus is talking about here, where something happens that is so real and so powerful, our lives are characterized by it and marked by it? One of the problems for all of us when we come to any part of God's Word is uh, we tend to doubt it. We tend to doubt its power and its ability to help us. Now, when we think about being called to be peacemakers, it means that you have a radical understanding of the power of forgiveness. 
Now, in my experience and generations of working with lots of people, I've had dozens of people say this to me. They'll say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. I know that God forgives me, but I, I just can't forgive myself. Now, to my ear, when I first hear it, it sounds very noble, doesn't it? Man, you're, you're really taking this so seriously. But there's a problem here. There is a, a big steal here. There is, if you will, a big lie that's going on inside of us. So you're going to have a really hard time being a peacemaker if you say this, I, I, I can't forgive myself or I can't forgive them. Um, many years ago, I was uh, preaching through 2 Corinthians 12 where it talks about thorns in our flesh. And Paul says, I was given the, this thorn in my flesh so that I would not be conceited. Um, and so, uh, but he says, but I learned that God's grace was sufficient. So as I'm preaching along uh, through that, my rhetorical question to the congregation, uh, and again, uh, if you've ever been in an African-American church, you know when you ask questions, they're going to talk back to you. <laughs> it's antiphonal. In other words, if I say, is God good enough? You're going you're gonna to say, oh yeah. <laughs> they're going to talk back to you. But my sort of my question was, is God's grace enough? Is it enough? So this particular Sunday morning, there was a visiting African-American preacher, and he was hearing me ask that question over and over, is it enough? And uh, as I am uh, going along, uh, asking that question, he kept looking at me, looking at me, and he was looking around the congregation, and finally at the top of his voice, he said, it's more than enough. <laughs> you know, it is more than enough. So when someone says to you, or you might be living with this big steal of your joy and your hope and the power of what God can do in your life, I can't forgive myself, or I can't forgive somebody else. I want to ask you, is Jesus' death and resurrection, is his blood enough for you? You know, I, I, conf I want to confess at this point, of all the Beatitudes, this one is the hardest. Now, if you're already looking ahead, it talks about if you become a peacemaker, you're going to get persecuted. <laughs> and you go, what's that all about? Come back next Sunday, all right? Um, but the idea of being a peacemaker, to me, just kind of fills me with dread. The idea that I have to enter into a conflict with other people uh, or have the conflict come to me is something I do not want. Actually, I despise conflict. I really hate it, and I dread it because I've been in a lot of ugly stuff. My family, uh, you know, I grew up in a family where I never heard my mother say, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. But she created chaos in our family. She created shame, guilt. I've told you all she was a travel agent for guilt trips. God bless her. Um, uh, but, uh, and I want you to know, too, that as difficult as my relationship with my mom was, she's now in heaven, God did a lot of work in me to give me a love and compassion for my mom. She never said she was sorry. She never apologized. Uh, part of my story is that I was probably in the late 30s, and I thought, I really want to make peace with my mom over what we've been through. And so uh, I wanted to apologize for what 
how difficult I made her life uh, when I was uh, the oldest of five. And I wanted to sit down and say, Mom, can we talk about our relationship? I want to tell you uh, how I feel like I've really hurt. Will you, will you forgive me uh, for what I've done? And literally, this is what my mom did. She kind of looked away. She got up and walked out of the room. You know, she walked out of the room. This is how broken my mother was. Uh, but rather than judge her and write her off, God just kept filling me up with love for my mom. But to have those kind of experiences, it can be very difficult to enter into discussions with people where you know what you're going to meet with is not acceptance or forgiveness. You're going to get judged or yelled at or walk out of the room, just a cold shoulder. Uh, also, for my dad, who was uh, an amazing man in many ways, loved him dearly, my dad was not a peacemaker, he was a peacekeeper. So the false impression of being a peacemaker is that when you want to keep the peace at any expense. Or, so maybe your role in your family was to keep everybody happy. That was your, your dynamic, is to keep mom and dad happy, your siblings happy. You were a peacekeeper. You're keeping everybody at you know, arm's length so everybody would do their own thing, but they never come together and talk about the conflict of what was going on in their family. My dad was the consummate peacekeeper. So in Jeremiah 8, it warns against people who say, peace, peace, when they look at sin and problems lightly, but they're just putting band-aids on these things. Probably one of the hardest conversations I ever had was with my father, where I sat with him, and I told him how I felt like he never protected me from my mom. And uh, he watched her abuse me a lot, verbally, and shame me, and my siblings. And it was one of those moments where I dreaded it. I didn't want to do it, but I'm so glad I went there because my dad wept. He didn't get up and walk out. He, he really owned how he had hurt me. And that created something in our relationship which for which I'll ever treasure, and I can't wait to uh, see him again. He died in 1997. He'd gone for a walk with my mom, came home, sat on the couch, and he died. I didn't get to say goodbye to him. I didn't get to say all the things I wish I could have said to him. Uh, but in that moment, in that thing, I got a little taste of what peacemaking can do for you and what it means if we'll risk going there. So when we were looking at the Beatitudes, remember it starts off with this proclamation. You are invited to intense joy if you will follow the path of this particular beatitude. And here's the promise. So there's the proclamation, there's the path, there, there is the promise. And if Jesus is filling you up, you want people around you to flourish. You're getting outside of yourself. And guess what? Jesus' love for you is more than enough. So for you to buy into the lie or live in the power of the lie or let the devil steal your joy by saying, I can't forgive myself. I'm such a train wreck. I've messed up so badly. I can't believe I did that or I let that happen to me. I know it was my fault. You see the prison that you live in? Some of you love the uh, poet Mary Oliver and one of her favorite lines in one of her poems is, the heart has many dungeons. Bring the light, bring the light. And Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, wants to bring the light into the dungeons of your story. 
where you live with fear or dread or despair or hopelessness so that you will flourish this side of heaven. <laughs> that you just won't hang on and get through and make it to the end and really just die with a lot of fear and anxiety because part of being the church is getting ready to be in heaven. Part of being a pastor is I wanna get you ready so that when it's your time and I'm with you and we're talking, you can't wait to be with Jesus. <laughs> you can't wait to meet him. You can't wait to cross over between this liminal space of this world and the next because you can't wait to meet the one who has loved you perfectly. Uh, that's what peacemaking is all about. It's flourishing so that it can really change us and transform us. Well, how is it possible that Jesus could do that? Well, Jesus has fulfilled this for us, but I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture to you to think about as you ponder being a peacemaker in your home, uh, where you work, in your family. It says that Jesus is the head of the body. This is from Colossians 1, 18, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might uh, be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. By making peace. Is Jesus' blood for you enough? Is it enough? Or are you trying to add to it or subtract from it? But if you know you're missing out on something that God has for you, a calling to be someone who is so freed up in the love of Christ because he shed his blood for you. Friends, there's wonder-working power in the blood. There's such powerful working in the blood. Uh, and when we go to Revelation chapter 12, it says that the people of God really understood um, how the power of God is, is to be displayed and demonstrated through the blood of Christ because it says they overcame the accusations of the brothers, of the brothers, the accuser, through the blood of Christ. Now, the thing that I can say to all of you, I don't know many of you, but if I sat in your story and I could say, where has there been spiritual oppression or warfare in your story? And you were to tell me where you've really experienced real darkness, real sadness, real shame, real guilt, is to say that that is an entry point for the blood of Christ to come and heal, redeem, restore. To really set you free from some of the things that you've lived through in a way that you really know that the power of the blood of Christ is to make you whole and to fill you with the shalom of God, the peace of God, so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what's happened to you, God is redeeming your past, healing your past, helping you in the present, and giving you hope for the future. And so the way you think about your life is that because of what Christ has done, I consecrate myself to the power of the cross. To some, it's foolishness. You might be here visiting today, you don't know Jesus, and you hear the message of the cross and the blood of Christ, and you go, this is really whacked. <laughs> you know, I'm here this morning, but I, get me out of here. You know, or some of you are thinking, it's a stumbling block. I mean, why would Jesus die for somebody like me? I mean, is it enough? I mean, really, because you still feel responsible in some way that you need to forgive yourself or to show to God you're worthy of his acceptance or whatever. 
But for those of us who are being redeemed, it is the power and wisdom of God. You want power in your life? You want to be a lot smarter than you are right now? Then keep looking at the cross until you're different. You see, the problem for most of us, we look at all our problems, we might look at 20 things, anxieties we have, and then we'll take one look at Jesus and go, thank you, Jesus, that you're there, but man, I got all these things to think about, and worry about, or, or frustrated over. And there was a great Scottish preacher who said that for every one look you take at your problem, take 10 looks at Jesus. I remember uh, this godly woman, a spiritual mom in my life, she could see how much I was internalized and tied up with my own stuff. And she said to me very wisely, Clyde, you need to keep looking at Jesus until you're different. Now, my friends, you get to look at Jesus this morning through the bread, his body, through the cup, the shedding of his blood. You get to look at him through the word right now. But keep looking at Jesus until you're different. Now, how will you know you're different? you will feel his healing power. There is power in the blood to heal you from the wounds that you carry. By his wounds, we are healed. And again, a godly man in my life, a spiritual father to me, said to me many years ago, he said, Clyde, when you see your wounds and his wounds, you're going to be different. Will you take your wounds and look into Jesus' wounds? And like Thomas, the doubter, Put your finger in his side and say, Jesus, your suffering, your death, your life, your everything is more than enough. Here's how you know when you're in trouble. When you hear the good news, when you've heard the singing this morning, when you've heard us say, I believe in God the Father. When you hear all those things, it just doesn't register. <laughs> There's all this ambient noise in your story. It's keeping you from believing that's more than enough. And Jesus, the true Prince of Peace, wants to come this morning and settle deeply into your story again and say, I'm bringing you the shalom, uh, the power of the love of my Father for you. He's never forsaken you. He's never going to leave you. He's going to be with you. Another passage from Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I wonder how many of you are carrying hostility in your soul. You're quickly negative, you're quickly uh, critical, uh, you're caustic. Uh, maybe you, on the outside, are a peacekeeper in that you don't really tell people what you're thinking. <laughs> you know? I'm from the South. I grew up in the South. So here the way we do it down South. Hey, Leonard's good to see you, brother. Man, you're looking so good, you know? And then I walk away. I go, Leonard is such a mess. You know, he's just such a wreck, you know? That's the way we do it down South, although I don't think that way about Leonard. <laughs> uh -huh. But, but you, know, you know how you do it, you know? You'll see somebody at work, you'll talk to somebody online today on, in, from your family, and you'll be very polite. But inside, inside, you feel the disdain you have for that person. It's not the peace of Christ. It's not the presence of Christ. It's not the power of Christ. It's not 
the joy that you can have in loving somebody who fails you, has failed you, will fail you, is what does it mean to love another sinner, to love an enemy? Jesus says, pray for your enemies, love them, and then here's the real kick. <laughs> this is how you know you're, you're in, you're, you're tracking with Jesus. You want your enemies to have joy. Oh, I choke on that one. I want, you know, I'll forgive my enemies. I'll pray for them. I'll show them a little love, but I don't want them to have any joy. <laughs> I want them to suffer. I want them to feel bad about what a, and if I was allowed to cuss, I would at this point uh, to just let it fly, you know? I would just let it fly. And again, that's where I need healing. That's where you and I need healing. Is it enough? Is Jesus' blood enough so that you can love the worst person in your story in a way that you release them, you forgive them, you bless them because you want them to find joy? And really believe there's nobody outside of the span and scope of people that we know that God cannot redeem and save. And you and I have a part to play in their redemption by praying for them, loving them, and wanting them to find the joy of the forgiveness of their sins and the peace of God. So when Paul says down here, he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. All those walls that you built in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, whatever, Jesus says, let them come down. <laughs> I've died so they don't need to be there. You don't need to protect yourself. You don't have to have shields up all around your mind and heart to guard yourself. And then it just wears you out when you're trying to do that for yourself. Let the peace of Christ guard your heart. Let the peace of Christ guard your relationships. Let Jesus guard you in a way so you're really freed up to be with people you do not like. And love them. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's the power of Christmas. It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of Jesus and his ascension. Because, my friend, when you were somebody that was very unlikely, very unlovely, and here, get it, very ungodly, you were loved by God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They loved you. They still love you. Even though you're doubting and walking away and allowing yourself to just languish in this sea of lukewarmness. Oh, my friend, <laughs> if you would let Jesus clothe you tonight, give salve to your eyes, give to you what money cannot buy. There's this wonderful, amazing peace. And it says he did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might re reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Have you been thrilled by your holiness recently? That you're called holy, you're called to live a holy life? Does that give you courage and confidence? 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Is it enough? Is this good news? Are these truths are enough? And let me, let me just say to you right now, if you're really struggling right here, if you're stuck right here, if this is where you're going, man, I want to I wanna get on the other side of this. We want to help you. You know, you're never going to see a greater miracle than somebody asks for help. And the reason a lot of us are stuck in our unbelief and our fear and our pride and our insecurities is we're not willing to ask for help. And there are some amazing people sitting in this room who would love to pray with you, help you, listen to your confession, and bless you. And show you that there is a peace that can guard your story in a way that it frees you up to love like you never thought you could. I have lots of stories I could tell about seeing the power of Jesus being the peacemaker in my story and teaching me how to be one. Uh, but one uh, that I really treasure is that I was in a ministry situation where some false things were said about me which were not true. Uh, this man that I love and care about believed that what was said was not true. Uh, he judged me, he betrayed me, hurt me deeply. I mean, I, I was just leveled by the accusations that came my way. Uh, and uh, after we kind of lived through that, I went to him and he realized how much he had failed me. And he realized how sorry he was for believing things that were said about me, which were not true. And there was just, it was ugly. But here's how you see what the peace of Christ looks like. Uh, he came and apologized to me and he said, Klein, I want you to forgive me, but I don't want to do the dance we do so often when there's a lot of hurt and pain is where I, we forgive each other and we never talk to each other again. He said, I want us to be really good friends again. And I want us to be better friends than we were before. That's reconciliation. It's forgiveness. Reconciliation is not only do I want to forgive you, not only do I want to be forgiven, but I want us to be close. And here's what Jesus is saying to you and me. He just doesn't want to forgive us. He wants to be our best friend. He wants to be the one who's nearest to us. He wants to be our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for, again, the beauty and the power of Jesus coming to be our peacemaker so that we might know together and taste together and see how great is our grace, is the grace of our God. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood is more than enough for us. And we pray now that you would fill us up as we come to the table with the joy of the Lord, that you'd come and say to us, you are so delighted and you are so loved, you're so treasured. You are my crown and joy, as Paul told the Philippians. May, Lord, we, may we hear the whispers of our acceptance and our adoption and our eternal love that we share because of you. Amen.